Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, it's William Hollins here for another episode of the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest today. He's a friend. Uh, he lives in California these days, but his name is Anthony Finno. Anthony, uh, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks. Thanks a lot, William. Good to be with you. Hi, everyone. Absolutely, man. So I know we talked before the show. You grew up in New York City, so I've been to the city a few times. What was that like growing up there, man? I know it's it's a fast fast paced city. Um, how did it how did it shape you? Sure, it is a fast paced city. That's true. As I grew much older, I realized that it it as a metaphor, it reminds me of this very fast moving river. And for folks who are just visiting or coming to New York for the first time, and they sort of dip their toe into that river, sometimes they can be they can be swept away quite easily. And I always felt that it was super important to maintain your ground in that fast moving river if you were going to sort of be present with really the wonder of New York City which is, was basically a constant um, source of like inspiration. Every corner you turn, every block you go down, there is always something new and different to see. There was a surprise. There was something to learn. Um, and that was probably one of the best parts about growing up in New York City. I had a mom that pretty much allowed me to do whatever I wanted so, so far as that I came home at a specific time. And I followed that rule. And as such, I was able to go literally explore the city a lot as a young as a young person. And I also should mention that I grew up as an only child. So I really had a lot of free time on my hands. And my mother worked a couple of jobs. So um, we uh, so I was I was constantly out there and about exploring. And it was the constant barrage of of like um, something different or something creative that I think was the most memorable part about growing up in New York. That's really cool. Where were some of your favorite places to hang out when you were over there? Well, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, so I grew up in um, Jamaica, Queens until I was 16 years old. And then we, um, we sort of, uh, I found myself in a few different parts of the city over the next 10 or 15 years um, from Brooklyn and Manhattan um, to other parts of Queens. And there were lots of places to go to, but the one thing that stood out, I guess, if I could think of something that always stood out to me were the parks. Whoever was originally planning New York City did a great job in making sure that there was access to a lot of parks. And so that's, that was always sort of a refuge in what at times was a concrete jungle, no doubt about it. Yeah, I completely agree. So that was one of my favorite places was Central Park. I went to Washington Park as well when I was there and I live in Dallas these days, but I, you know, and obviously we don't have, like we have a downtown with a lot of skyscrapers, but we are a lot more spread out once you get out of that, that central business district. And to, to this day, I still love all the parks. White Rock Lake is one of my favorite places to hang out with friends. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Great beaches too in New York, not necessarily in the city, but in the peripheral areas, um, in the suburbs, for example, there's a lot of coastline. So in the summertime, it can be a lot of fun, a lot of fun towns along the coast. Yeah, I love that, man. So I know your your family has has a real estate portfolio and you got exposed to real estate at an early age. So if, if you're able to share like 
you know, what, what kind of stuff they all have and, you know, how did you get exposed to that? What was your role in an early age? And, you know, how did you kind of transition into to that space? Sure. So my grandfather had, um, had been um, supporting the war effort during World War II out of Brooklyn. And um, he was doing that by um, providing sort of um, like rags, literally like, you know, sh- basically clothing that had been discarded and created into rags that you could use for mechanic mechanical things or what have you. And so he started acquiring real estate in Brooklyn um, around this time to house these facilities to buy and process the clothing into rags. And um, after that business, after the war, the, ba- the business sort of transitioned and started selling secondhand clothing. And they had that business for many years. And eventually they started acquiring more real estate, but outside of Brooklyn. And in the 70s, they started acquiring multifamily properties that, you know, I know this sounds almost impossible, but these were buildings that were selling for $75,000 a building, $200,000 a building. Mm-hmm. And those are buildings that today sell for $15 million, $22 million. And so um, they, you know, they, uh, they made some uh, investments in multifamily and that's sort of grew over time and they've accumulated quite a bit of real estate. Um, so I grew up around that. Um, but ironically, that wasn't actually what got me interested in real estate. Um, another person in my family um, had also had real estate, but in Long Island City, Queens, which is, if you're familiar, it's right across the river from the Upper East Side. And so it's, for the last 15 years or so, it really has grown up a lot. It was mostly industrial land and it was rezoned and there's a need for housing. And so most of it's housing. And then there's also a lot of open spaces and event spaces. So it's become 15 years later, quite the neighborhood, but um, with high rises, I should add. And, but, but about 15 years ago, my aunt, she had a building in uh, Long Island city and I got to see firsthand how well she was able to do with that. Um, And that was what sort of got me really interested. And it was the right time for me because I was just graduating. um, Well, I had just graduated a couple of years before that. I had started a business in West Africa and that business was coming to an end and I was coming back to the city. And so this was the right timing. And I ended up being inspired by my aunt's building uh, sale that she was conducting. And the group that she had hired to uh, facilitate the sale was a group called Eastern Consolidated. Eastern Consolidated was like a powerhouse brokerage in Manhattan for many, many years. They just closed about five years ago. There was the death of one of the founders and they had to shut the business down, but it was a powerhouse. And at that time, there were only maybe like 15 partners or so there. And so Um, she had her property listed at this company and, you know, she said, you should go talk to them and see if you can get a job. And so that's how it all started for me. And so, um, I got, I got my start with that company and things just grew from there. So I've always, you know, I've, I've always been inspired by real estate as a, as a concept it's responsible and it's available for us, no matter what we're doing, whether it's walking to the store or shopping in the store or coming home or going to the park to play. So it's fascinating what you can do with real estate and the importance of it, especially today. 
And I should add probably that, you know, affordability should always be a topic conversation when we're talking about housing and real estate housing. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I know, I know your, New York City has a lot of laws in place to help renters out. Um, but I, I completely agree with you. Like everybody's got to have a place to live. And so we need to make sure that it's going to be at a reasonable price, you know, so that that doesn't negatively impact, you know, the rest of their life. That's right. Yeah. Lifestyle. So I, I know that you you dove pretty deep into raising equity. So you've raised over 500 million now at this point for uh, all sorts of different businesses. So how did you get involved in that? And, you know, what are some things that you had to to hone uh, different skills to improve on to get better at raising money? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time now. And a lot of that, you know, that fundraising happened early in my career at Eastern Consolidated. I had the opportunity to work on, in most buildings in Manhattan are fairly ex expensive, you know, the average building. So back then, you know, a 20 to $50 million building was sort of middle of the road. Um, there were a few hundred million dollar and then there was like the, you know, seven or $800 million, but most things were in that $50 million plus or minus range. And so I had that opportunity to step right into that world with very talented business people who were raising um, equity and debt for these acquisitions on behalf of clients. And so I, I cut my teeth in that environment. Um, and really, um, I became uh, a mentee for my really one of my first mentors, a man named Stuart Gross, who um, was a partner. And uh, he had just a smooth, intelligent, thoughtful, Southern charm about him. And um, his family is from Georgia. And so he's just a, he's a real gentleman. And he and I connected early on. And I worked with him closely uh, and, and conducted a lot of business and did a lot of that fundraising. Uh, after, you know, Eastern Consolidated, I started to sort of venture out into my own thing. And that's where I sort of spread my wings a little bit and dabbled in things that I thought were interesting and important to the world and something that we could make money with. And I, you know, I kept coming back to things like renewable energy and uh, hospitality and entertainment. Um, and now in the last five years, cannabis. That's awesome. Yeah. So that kind of rolls into the next, next conversation that we were going to have, you know, just determining how to diversify. Cause you know, I'm, I'm heavily invested in real estate. I also have, you know, I have, uh, Ethereum. So I have some cryptocurrency and I do have some stuff in the stock market right now. You know, I'm looking at gold and silver, uh, learning more about oil and gas. So how do you, how do you study, you know, different investment opportunities and how do you determine which ones are uh, fit, you know, your criteria? Well, I mean, I think it's always different depending on what the circumstances are and what the goals are and what, um, you know, what the resources are to work with. I think obviously always, always important to diversify and never invest in anything that you, you're not prepared to lose the money um, when you invest it. I think, um, you know, some folks um, are thinking really long-term, like maybe multi-generational and others are just trying to do something quick. So I really think it depends. But if the broader market has taught us anything, it's that the consumer spends in the United States um, and it's a powerful force that um, 
says a lot about the long-term viability of the U.S. markets in general. I think, you know, areas like real estate, for example, I think are a baseline for me. They feel safe. They feel predictable. They feel useful. They feel relevant. And they can change people's lives. So I feel like that's a great place to begin. Um, I think uh, being a lender is also important. I think we should be lenders and um, have some of our portfolio as loans out to other um, entities or businesses or the government or a municipality, what have you. So I think that's important. And I think the equity markets are interesting, um, you know, but there's a lot of forces at work in the equity markets that make it, um, uh, you know, less, uh, less, you know, harder to predict. So I think it's important to have exposure there, but of course it really should be advised by someone who really knows what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's my, I, I think that's how I would, um, really look at things in general. There's so much more you can do. I mean, there's, if, if you've, if you've got passions in certain areas and maybe you want to invest in businesses in those areas, that's interesting because it's something that you know, and you're familiar with. Um, I think all, I think, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur through and through. I've always felt that even when I was a young, young boy, I always had some business going on. So for me, it's very kind of like, do what, do what your heart calls you to do and try and make the, the best impact that you can. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I, I was an entrepreneur from an early age as well. I, I know a lot of people did uh, this type of business, but I started a lawn mowing business and, you know, would push my lawnmower up and down the streets. And over time, you know, I bought better equipment and then I learned to drive and I got a trailer and, you know, started hiring people and expanding that business. So I've done that, you know, my whole life. I actually just sold the rest of my equipment to my dad i had like a zero turn riding lawnmower and stuff like that that way i can just focus on building uh, my real estate business out nice passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month some people call that mailbox money we say money really does grow on trees visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree so I know I know you're involved in like creating businesses, helping businesses grow at this point. So, you know, what what type of projects are you working on and how do you say yes to certain projects and why do you say no to other other businesses? Well, yes to projects no matter what when there's a strong team behind the mission and the plan. I think that's super important. Um, know if there are red flags and to be honest with myself and listen to those flags and question those flags and, you know, also be thoughtful, um, but also mindful of, of those flags. So I think that's, those are yes and no's at the bottom, in the, at the baseline of it. It's, it comes down to the people who's behind it, you know, what's their integrity like, what's their ability to communicate. We know there's going to be rough times. And, you know, are we going to be able to communicate through those rough times? So I think those are the indicators that I look for when it comes to a yes and no. Yeah, I think that's super wise. Several of my mentors have said that's one of the most important decisions you can make in business is who you partner with. You know, so you don't want to quickly jump in with somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You also, I mean, it's also important. I think expertise is important. And a track record is important. And I mean, there's so many, there's a lot of us have great ideas that we want to do something with in the world. And 
most of the time we need a lot of help to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, folks that are surrounded by people who, you know, can help that person reach their goal is also important too, right? So even if you've got a great manager on site, um, you know, who's around that manager is also important. I love that. So what businesses have you been involved with in the past? Well, it's been um, mostly real estate. Um, and I do have a, a boutique hotel retreat center in Costa Rica that is sort of hospitality real estate oriented. And I made a couple of investments in renewable energy, in particular waste to energy, um, where they take um, solid municipal waste and it's burned at very high temperatures so it doesn't create pollution. And it can, the energy that's created can be sold back to the energy grid. Um, and so, and there's, you know, subsequently lots of over um, filled landfills. You know, there's, it's not where we keep stacking garbage basically. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's just scratching the surface. You know, it's a, a global problem. So it's just one other way to try and contribute to the solution, which is how do we create clean energy and solve a problem at the same time? And that's, that was where that thinking was. So that's a very long-term investment. I made that investment less than 10 years ago. And um, right now we're focused on, um, for the last five years, we've assembled a team that comes from consumer packaged goods. And they believe that um, cannabis is ultimately a consumer packaged goods industry and do- and brands dominate CPG industries. And so they're bringing this high level national branding awareness and thinking to the cannabis industry. And in essence, we build a brand IP, which is a full spectrum of, of, of brand uh, property and strategy. And we pair that with California genetics uh, to create unique experiences for very distinct audiences. And so we've, uh, we've been in production for the last four years, and we're just um, uh, coming to market this fall in Oklahoma, New Mexico, uh, which also will serve Texas. And um, we're in talks in Arizona, Nevada, Ohio, and Michigan. And so we're excited about that. We're rolling that out this year. We've got several brands behind our first brand, which is Peaceful Easy Feeling coming. And so it'll, it's really the beginning of this phase that we're going in is sort of the next phase of our evolution where we start rolling out our properties and licensing them. So last two questions for you. One is uh, what, what's some lessons learned or some things that you wish you would have done differently so far? Yeah. Um, I wish I would have in general, I wish I would have asked for more help along the way. I, 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 you know, realized as I became a, when I became a father, I realized the importance of praise and praising our children when they do good and, and making sure that we're not over criticizing them. And uh, in, in that analysis, I discovered that, you know, growing up as an only child with mother who was working quite a bit, I had a lot of responsibility at an early age. And I always felt that I had to do it myself and, you know, get the job done and figure it out. And I had, I wish that it, I didn't learn until much later until I had children that I realized that, you know, I could have asked for a lot more help along the way. And I think it would have been more of a human experience um, than trying to do it all myself. So I think that's the one takeaway for me if I could have, could have done it different, although I am perfectly grateful with what I've got today. So no regrets. 
That's awesome, man. Uh, last question. Just want to give you the, the spotlight and the microphone. So what are some of your proudest accomplishments so far? Well, um, I have to say I have a loving family. And uh, not to be cliche, but that's really the best of it all. It's uh, spending time with my family and learning from them and contributing to their lives. I think that's the best accomplishment. Uh, I will say that I, uh, I did hand deliver my second child, which I wouldn't quite call an accomplishment, but it's noteworthy in, in a conversation about accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. Well, Anthony, it's been a lot of fun having you. How can people contact you if they'd like to connect? Sure. Just find me on LinkedIn. Just do search for Anthony Finno, F-I-N-N-O, and you'll see me there. Uh, I've got a, a yellow border around my picture. You can't miss it. Very cool. Anthony, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks a lot, man. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. And remember, money really does grow on trees.